0: realistic okay and then you die <laughs> so an that's
1: nice text. okay we do it in english uh, do it don't we yes we yeah. it in yeah just
2: want to say we need to switch now although we yes. could do it in german so i can yeah. speak
1: in english very well i'm good <laughs> i can uh, then, <laughs> Okay, then okay mal, sag mal sag mal
0: yeah wow peep anytime you like
1: Okay, guten Abend allerseits. Wir sind wieder zusammengekommen für ein Chiron Talks Gespräch um, online um, in der Stratosphäre des Internet, um mit interessanten Leuten über interessante Dinge zu reden. Um, Hoffentlich nämlich.
0: Stop. We're doing it in uh, English. English, please. All right. True.
1: Well, you see, uh, interesting people uh, sometimes need to be reminded um, of things, just like me. And there is this. Beautiful guest we have here, a part of our um, usual um, partners Dominic Orr and Sabrina Konzok, who uh, are part of Chiron and of SEND, the um, um, Agency um, Association in Germany for Social Entrepreneurs. This is also the keyword for the talk today, because our special guest, Gorgi um, Kirlev. he is uh, working at the University of Heidelberg um, in the or near the uh, Faculty of Sociology and he is doing things he's teaching people how to learn how to um, finance their initiatives and um, how to improve their um, social impact these are the main keywords here and um, Gorgi has just um, developed, um, um, together w- together with many other partners, um, a MOOC, a massive open online course called AIR, which means Accelerating Investment Readiness. And um, the other key, the other description of it would be uh, Financing for Social Change. So they are uh, the keywords that we are having today for our talk, and we want to find out a little bit um, where are um, where are where is need in in, in new um, uh, enterprises in new initiatives in social entrepreneurial um, initiatives? Where is need of help? Where where are structures impeding this um, um, progress and their success? And where can people maybe start with new ideas and even get money for it? Uh, so um, well. I would say, um, Gorgi, um, would you like to tell us a little bit what this Air MOOC is so that we have a little better impression of um, what you
3: do? Absolutely. Um, so thanks very much for having me. Uh, Air MOOC is, well, as you said, it's called uh, Accelerating Investment Readiness that really has a focus on, uh, on social entrepreneurs and how they can join up with uh, so-called impact or social investors. Um, so the idea is to leverage the impact that these kinds of organizations can have uh, through forging collaborations between investors and, and social enterprises. So we have this MOOC, the most Open Online Course, but we also within this EU Interact Project, by the way, uh, with a focus on Central and Eastern Europe um, we also have a blended part, which means that the organizations that are taking the MOOC uh, will also then have the opportunity uh, in let's see whether they are actually going to be offline workshops, but the idea would be to to actually meet in smaller groups and and dive more deeply into some of the issues um, that we're focusing on, and uh, the contents that we uh, that we have to focus on in Air MOOC um, range from impact and impact measurement. Uh, um, to how to communicate best, uh, especially towards investors. So we cover quite a broad range. And I think uh, the particular benefit that we have with AirMOOC is that there are loads of of MOOCs and online resources out there, but often they only focus on the ventures or sometimes also at social innovation. Um, So how ventures come together uh, from from different sectors as well, uh, different actors uh, in order to uh, well innovate uh, for society. But what we have is the specific focus of the intersection between social entrepreneurship on the one side and this new field of investing uh, on the other so this is i think in a nutshell what's what airmooc is about
1: um, may i um, just ask a little bit um, what do you understand by saying um, social entrepreneurs what kind of people uh, come and uh, um, ask uh, to to participate in your courses
3: yeah, so uh, generally I wouldn't make a distinction between uh, non-profit and for-profit models. So basically the, the core criterion for being a social entrepreneur for me, but, but also for, for us in the project and in AirMOOC, is um, that social impact is at the heart of the venture, right? So that you're trying to create value for society, no matter whether it's uh, by a voluntary non-profit model, uh, by an organization that originates from civil society, or maybe by a for-profit venture um, that's, uh, I don't know, is is uh, focused on, on green tech, for instance, or uh, what, what has been described as, uh, as tech for social good, uh, where you have a solid business model behind it. We also um, relate to organizations that might uh, depend on a hybrid financing model, uh, meaning that they have earned income, but they might also have Um, maybe state subsidies uh, or even donations Um, so it's pretty broad in terms of the organizational types that we're addressing the main focus is that they have a clear impact model meaning that they can articulate how they want to make a positive change in the world. Mm -hmm.
0: So I suppose that's also the key challenge because if you're a for-profit I mean you shouldn't do it, but essentially your biggest uh value measure is am I making a profit and how much? Is is that part of what you look at is is how all oh, because there must be many, many different ways of, of, of measuring impact. So what it what's the best way to measure impact, especially if you're talking to investors? Maybe that's kind of the key question.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you're totally right that there might be a trade-off in this. Uh, and actually, in, in one of the modules um, that is that is dealing with uh, with strategy, uh, we're looking at how there are these different types of business models. As I was saying, um, so one of the examples um, that we had where where impact and the business model are uh, are sort of in line. Um, is uh, is um, a venture from Croatia, which is called Omo Lab. Um, so they have um, uh, developed uh, a font and an app for people suffering from dyslexia. And uh, I mean, whenever they grow this organization, they they also spread uh, the product, and they, that will be to the benefits um, of of customers or of their target group, right? So there's not really much much of an uh, a conflict here. But on the other hand. Um, we also have very innovative approaches to, um, for instance, homelessness, where it's super hard to, to actually have a business model, right? Um, so that's often still a non-profit, voluntary model. Um, and uh, But still, there are very innovative approaches there. Um, one example that we give is Straßenplus, which is an organization um, based in, in Hamburg. And what they've done, for instance, when uh, the COVID crisis came, Uh, all of a sudden the people living on the streets didn't have someone passing by to give them a uh, whatever a cent or a a euro or 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 more or less than that Um, and so they actually uh, used a donation platform to then let social workers distribute those donations uh, to the people in need so that was i think a very creative way of of tackling uh, a situation where people were in need and this is also met by uh, differences in the investor landscape. So we have some investors that you could call venture philanthropists, so they that, that have a really strong environmental or social value set, but that still want to tackle this uh, in, in an entrepreneurial way. Uh, and you also have very, um, very uh, sort of financially oriented, as you were saying, investors that would then uh, ideally invest in in, in the type of, of ventures that are in line where business and, and impact are in line um, and what you see I think especially on the investor side uh, at this moment is that people are still sort of striving for having uh, in the ideal case one single uh, ratio or indicator that they can use in order to channel their investments um, and, and I think That's usually the point where you say, well, you'll be uh, disappointed, but it's not that easy. Um, So uh, I think what we're trying to advocate for also in the MOOC is that there are different uh, kinds of value that need to be accounted for both on the organization side, as well as on the investor side. Um, For instance, and and, and that's sort of the last example uh, I want to give uh, before I sort of feed it back to you. Um, is um, that, uh, for instance, you can look at uh, what kind of social re- relations are being built uh, in the sense of what kind of networks are you creating, but also what kinds of, um, you know, ties and and trust are you creating between people. Uh, one of the examples that we give here is is quite well known in Germany is Neben Andii, uh, which is this uh, neighborhood uh, and uh, neighborhood vitalization or or connection Mm -hmm. network and obviously uh, if you want to measure the the kind of impact and value they are they are creating it's not about the finance Uh, it really is about the connections between people the mutual supports which is super important i think especially uh, in times of crisis uh, like under corona
2: totally i mean as you as you're just talking about the crisis i mean for sure social innovations are one of the best tools right now, right? To cope with something that we haven't seen um, at the scale. But maybe coming back to to how you actually do it. I know that you set up some principles um, for the AIR MOOCs or for the whole program and how to go about that. Um, Like what are they exactly and why did you choose exactly those?
3: Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, there are a couple of principles that we were trying to to take at heart when we were designing um, the MOOC, uh, as you've just mentioned. Um, Some of those, I think, uh, sort of originate from my experiences when I was doing my my PhD at Oxford um, and where I actually had one of the courses, so it was a part-time program, quite uh, unusual, sort of an individual setup, um, uh, working in in Heidelberg at the Center for Social Investment uh, and then doing the PhD alongside, and I was quite struck by how they designed this one uh, methods methods course. It was a stats course uh, on top of everything else. And I quite like the way um, they did this. Um, and so uh, based on that, uh, I think I derived a, a couple of principles. One would be that we're trying to um, to prompt thinking rather than understanding. So we deliberately uh, try to slightly maybe over text learners uh, by not spelling everything out to the last detail. Right. So we often give some references uh, to text somewhere else outside the platform that we use um, for the learning and for the teaching, so that people, uh, we hope, are going to be prompted to just dig deeper on their own uh, and also have some individualized elements of learning in there. So that would be sort of sort of the first principle. The second principle, and that's a bit uh, due to the restrictions that we had in terms of budget and also the crisis situation, by the way. I mean, we were recording interviews with experts and then all of a sudden there was lockdown and everyone was in their home offices and, well, how do you do that? So what did we do we just uh, recorded interviews on skype which meant that usually quality was lower uh, and we also never had a professional team because we couldn't afford it so the thing that we did or that i did is go there uh, be the camera guy be the one who asked the questions and then uh, record everything Um, but i think uh, the, the the second lesson or principle that sort of emerged by coincidence is that it's more about how striking the content and how uh, you know elaborate the arguments the interviewees make uh, rather than you know how fancy the material is. At least I, I hope that. Um, because MOOCs tend to be very costly in production um, and 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 therefore also it's uh, it's mainly the players who can afford it or or who can uh, then maybe make money with those by by giving out certificates. Um, that are uh, putting their expertise in there. And I think that's not a, mm-hmm. not a, a, a given thing. Uh, and there's uh, more room to, to test and experiment with maybe lower quality in terms of how fancy look, uh, things look, but uh, high quality in terms, of, in terms of contents. And the third one was that we deliberately tried to avoid any uh, uh, small tools like quizzes, multiple choice questions, and so on. Because uh, as we discussed earlier, uh, Tino, in the, in, the, in the preparation talk, um, this is really targeting uh, executives, entrepreneurs, uh, leaders of organizations, right? So what we want to do is uh, not uh, test whether they can reproduce what we've said in the module, but we really want to see whether they can apply some of the things that we have in AirMOOC to their organizations. So what we're prompting them to do is really apply these to their specific um, specific settings. So uh, as we were talking about impact measurement, uh, uh, design or think about key indicators that one w- would need to apply uh, to a specific social venture. Um, and this also, I think this is a good principle, but at the same time, it also comes with uh, the challenge that it's quite hard, especially in this uh, MOOC setting, which is quite detached from, from interaction in some way, to actually get the people to do it and exchange with each other. So uh, ideally, we would want to see that and uh, and gladly we have the, the blended learning part to actually do that more actively. But what we see is that that's really a hard process. Um, and, and I don't have a, a good answer to, to, to how you do that. Sorry, um, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um,
1: Gorgi, Go the, the, the three principles, um, to take them home, could you uh, sum them up um, once again in, um, in a short um, thing, each one, so that I can memorize it better?
3: Sure. So the first one was thinking instead of understanding. So, because when you understand, you think, okay, I got it, but then you sort of stop applying it to yourself, stop to, to dig deeper. The second thing was uh, have striking contents rather than fancy material. And the third one was. Um, Uh, rather than testing knowledge um, trying to design scenarios where um, the the people the learners the participants can apply what they've learned uh, to their specific situation
0: I mean the the nice thing I think um, for us is you know this is the 13th episode we have today we're hoping it's not a bad luck one but we we keep on having the same topics coming up kind of almost all the time and I think those three principles you've just said, they would uh, fit to a lot of discussions we've had before. In fact, they pretty much describe how we want to do this podcast as well, because it was always, when we first thought of it, we thought, let's not do this complicated. Let's just try and make something happen. Um, So no Mm. fanciness. And I completely agree also with the third one, not just for when you're thinking about executives, but generally, you know, why you see silly tools like all this gamification stuff? I always think, okay, there's a danger that we start treating people as if they're children again. And I think you also shouldn't treat children like that. You know, we we want to yeah, kind of... I think that this...
3: that's actually where the problem starts, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah I no,
0: to... uh, I just wanted to say because one of the things that came up basically every time was also, because we're living in this COVID period as... as And the nice thing is, we're all experiencing the same thing, which is how do you live and interact in this kind of remote space? And it's always about how can you create some kind of interaction and working together and feeling like you belong together without the physical bit. And I I just, Mm. I just really, for me, that's, I just like to point that out again that that's kind of the big thing we've come up. But what I thought was quite nice when we were talking to Luca a number of episodes ago, he was talking about one way to try and get around this is to make sure if people feel like they're all working together on something, then they feel they're contributing to a community and that means they feel more belonging in that community. And I think maybe also around your course, maybe you've managed to achieve that uh, to some extent. I mean, can you t- tell us a little bit about who's taking part in the course and, and how they're interacting?
3: Mm-hmm. So uh, I think one of the benefits that we have, obviously, is is that we still have this blended offline learning part that, that is built into or connected to the MOOC. And at the same time, we're also okay. running uh, a pitch competition for social enterprises where okay. they can uh, win some uh, some prize money, uh, but that's actually the the sort of it's 10, 10k for for four winners, uh, so that's not a massive amount, but I think it can still help, especially uh, in developing innovation. But the the core argument here is actually that we want to build community and especially bridge this gap between the enterprises and investors that were then also going to be on the investment panel. And ideally, uh, our idea, obviously, would be that uh, in the mid to long term, then there would actually be investments, right, Uh, rather than just having the prize money um, to to build or contribute uh, to networks that are forming, um, but also have these one on one uh, investments where the organizations can actually excel uh, by help of an investor and, and, and the other way around. Um, so I think this is one of the ways that that we're trying to, as you were saying, build community, uh, get some buy-in from different sides um, in order to make things happen. But I think also what we're seeing in research a lot, and that's also what we touched upon uh, a bit earlier, is that often you you don't really have this these meeting spaces, and I often think you don't have enough time and space to actually do things together. So, we're running from, I think it's got a bit better because we're not meeting that much uh, physically anymore. Um, so there's an efficiency argument here as well, but we're going to workshops, we're going to, to, to gatherings, practitioner gatherings, um, some dialogues, and all of that is super interesting. And a lot of it is, is, is very enriching, but oftentimes I think, well, I would have loved to sort of follow up on this, but I, I need to sit down and write this paper, for instance. And the other guy is going to think, I need to, uh, to run this, this podcast or, or live streaming on YouTube. And, and yet another one is going to say something else. So often there's not really the opportunity to, to do something together. Um, and also, I think whenever we, we think about innovation in particular, we have this expectation of there's, there was this meeting. And so what was, I mean, again, th- thinking about impact, what was the impact, what was the outcome, at least an output, come on, you need to come up with a new project idea or something. But I think that's actually not how innovation works, right? Um, so you need to sort of build more protected spaces. Um, and within this project, I think um, we, we have the opportunity to sort of do that artificially. Um, but what I think uh, from, ranging from education, but also into other areas is to just have more of these free spaces um, for, for people to create with each other. Um, and that's one of the things, I mean, Dominic, what you've been saying, uh, treating people like like children ticking boxes uh, also we, we have that in in university education right why do you have multiple choice questions because it's just a big bother to to, to rate an essay as compared to you know uh, feeding a, a machine with a multiple choice test and then letting it yeah. tell you whether that's a correct answer or not um, but i think we need to make the effort especially as we're talking about a crisis that no one's really uh, has no one really has any any experience with and so uh, this is one of the the occasions I think where you see you need people that come up with creative solutions uh, and that's the way how you how you nurture them uh, and not the way we're we're used to doing things.
1: Gogi I think you said also that this MOOC perhaps could become a university course or could be part of university education that means that this certain kind of um, let's say, flexible thinking is something that um, um, is desired. And if it is, then it means that it also um, um, reflects some way of how a part of the economy now works, how um, certain startups, how companies, how the interaction between fi- financing, uh, bigger companies, maybe smaller companies. Um, could you tell us a little bit, I mean, if this becomes a university course, then then, it, as I said, reflects a certain situation in which we are, in which the way of working changes. What do you think is this change? That uh, Don't talk about Covid so much, because this is also ending one day. And it doesn't doesn't define our um, our future, hopefully, although some people would wish that everybody communicates forever online, but it's not me. And uh, yeah, what do you think? What is this? What has changed? How how is the economic and structural situation that makes this kind of knowledge and teaching um, interesting?
3: Yeah, I think there's uh, two areas. One area is a topical area uh, where I think there's more and more appetite, even in German universities. Uh, and I think internationally mm-hmm. we've been quite slow, um, focusing on sustainability, focusing on social impacts, uh, really trying to develop leaders, managers, staff, uh, founders, uh, whatever, civil servants um, who have this mindset. Um, so, so it's I think a topical question. Uh, it's getting more into business schools but it's also in in organizational sociology and all of the social sciences and probably also the humanities uh, and even uh, I guess uh, the natural sciences uh, especially when they have this uh, connection to 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 the business world as you were saying you know um, is uh, making these more attractive Um, so that's one thing Um, and the other thing is um that it's really about the method and the way of teaching and learning um so it's quite rare i think at least uh, in my experience or to my knowledge that you use something that is super practice oriented so we said this is really focusing on executives Uh, we have readings and that sort of stuff but it's really also the exercises are focused on think about your venture how would you assess your impact think about your venture how would you refine your strategy in order to really tackle uh, uh, the, the root causes of a social problem these kinds of things um, and I think there's more and more appetite also in university teaching to uh, bring in this world of practice uh, bring it into uh, into university education and uh, what what I see or, or, or what I've heard um, is that usually it's it's when it happens it's rather the other way around some theoretical concepts are being transformed into a MOOC and then uh, the big universities are are, are putting that on um, and and making it uh, available to to a broader audience. But in this case, it's really been the other way around. so we're we, we've really focused on 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 the practice oriented parts and what we're now trying to do, because I think in both ways it's sort of a, a waste, right? Uh, so this is really focusing on executives, but I think there's a lot for students to learn. Uh, and the other way around. So what we're trying to do, uh, and we're actually just applying for a grant to be able to do that. That's another obstacle. Uh, Often uh, you you just don't have the resources to do it. But what we'd ideally like to do is make this available um, and and also have it uh, harmonized with criteria, ECTS criteria, having some readings, having some some assignments uh, and that that kind of stuff. What what you need and I think is, is important to have for a university course want to design that and and then ideally also make it available open source Uh, the 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 course itself uh, already is of course open source right everyone can just register with an email and a name uh, that's it so everyone can access it anyway but also in higher education everyone's sort of cooking their own uh, their own soup so to say Um, and uh, what we're trying to do is as we're making these experiences we also try to document those and and just uh you know provide it to to anyone who, who wants to use it in their university teaching so that's the ideal scenario let's see how how, how far we or how close we get to that um but but that's uh, sort of the idea behind so it's a, a dominic topic- dominic dominic you said of- you
1: said you said once uh-huh. that the universities are an old model and there are new things coming up that um, must be recognized as more structural and more important than just a new addition on the other hand it seems that also universities integrate this to stay how they are what do you think do you think what is your what is happening here actually
0: i mean of course i'm i'm always a great fan of these kind of things and i think it's a great idea of i mean it's funny as 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 you explain um yogi how this all developed because it kind of developed out of Well, firstly, it developed, obviously, from a European project, but also kind of from an idea. And now it's the idea of, okay, can we actually reintegrate that into the higher education system? I mean, one could be disappointed that it happens this way around because, you know, in a way we say higher education, we universities, we are exactly this protected space where the space we're being innovative. But I always think, yeah, I mean, innovation always comes through through friction and through finding practical cases where you think, okay, we can't really understand this. Um, but of course, there is the big, I mean, I'm thinking the whole time of, you know, one of the big questions in or big topics in economics has always been uh, social impact bonds. So it is kind of this idea of breaking that down and then connecting it to what happens if I have these these hackathons that I've got at the moment. So, so I, th- I think it's, I mean, it's, as you say, it's like super, it's actually super current. But I also think what I'm interested in is back to this question of how do we measure impact? Because I also think, again, with a lot of these hackathons, then, I mean, I, I just heard the evaluation of one hackathon where they said a lot of things didn't really, a lot of the results weren't really ideas one can take forward. But I think this is a measurement question as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's really great that you mentioned that. And so obviously, I think the one that is uh, in, in most people's minds, uh, the biggest hackathon of all times is uh, it's via versus virus. Um, Sabrina has been directly involved in that, uh, at least through Sen. Um, and I think that's, that's a great example of how things can happen. Also from, you know, just doing it, as you were saying it earlier. Um, it's an opportunity, we just do it, right? No, uh, no long planning, no expectations, basically. Let's just do it. Uh, you need some resources to do it, um, but then uh, you, you just let it go. Um, and what you see there, and, and we're actually uh, currently thinking about designing a research project that doesn't only look at Uh, the ones that are visible after the process, right? You all know it, you had the hackathon, you had some ideas, and there's some sort of a voting, and then there's an accelerator taking the most promising ideas forward. But what you're saying, Dominic, is basically uh, some ideas can't be taken forward, uh, but maybe it's also the case that some ideas are simply too complex to be taken forward at that specific point in time. Then Mm -hmm. there's fashion coming in as well. Uh, Some things are sort of uh, usually more, uh, more popular than other things. And what you also said, Tino, is this crisis is going to be over at some point. So maybe we're focusing on stuff that is relevant for the crisis and that's sort of the setting. But at the same time, maybe we're overlooking stuff that's that might, you know, bear fruits uh, further down the line. Um, So basically what we're thinking about is uh, having a a holistic assessment of impact in the sense of trying to not only focus on the organizations that have been, uh, you know, financed afterwards, but really sort of going, going deep and broad in terms of uh, surveying the participants of the hackathon in terms of what they thought their benefits were, right? Was this an idea that they took into their organization? So it didn't really, uh, they didn't really realize a joint project. So they failed, objectively speaking. Uh, but at the same time, they maybe took something onward and became entrepreneurs in their own, o- own organization. Or they continued without this funding program. Or they uh, made some valuable connections that you know didn't spur innovation, but had some other uh, benefit. So I think that's really where the impact and impact measurement mindset and also this differentiation and this dashboard approach to different sorts of value comes in, um, where you need really need to think about also what kind of spillovers were there, What kind of effects did the hackathon have in terms of maybe uh, forming or destroying trust uh, in in the population Also, I mean, they are spending. Well, one, one idea might be that that citizens are saying they are spending tons of money without really knowing how much it was, but on these fancy projects that just came up, and we're really working hard every day uh, to, to to make an improvement. We're just not on the radar of this. Uh, so it could be also have deterioratory um, effects. I think, uh, and and in this way, uh, it's it's important to have a broad mindset when you when you assess the impact of these kinds of things. Uh, And obviously you can also uh, apply that to to educational formats uh, as the MOOC. But yeah.
0: I mean, one thing I'm thinking of is, you know, I've been very involved in the open educational resources kind of movement and things. And one of the questions has always been, how can we explain the value of open educational resources? And very often I've been in lots of meetings where that has then been described as, you know, what is the business model? And over half of the people say, no, we can't have a business model because it's, it's open. And I don't, I don't agree with that, um, but maybe you could say more to it. And I mean, maybe you agree with them and not with me. I don't mind.
3: <laughs> I'm not entirely sure whether I agree on, on, on the business model side. I think I just have invested uh, too little thinking into having an opinion on that. Uh, But in terms of uh, just going for for open education and also open science, I think that's uh, quite a big transformation in how business models are structured. So, uh, for instance, if you if you look at uh, scientific publishing, it's the big publishing houses that used to have their big relevance when we still had uh, printed papers but now that everything's online uh, the production costs are quite low you don't need uh, you know the, the big infrastructure behind it so scholars are questioning you know why should we pay these publishing houses let's just put it you know it can still <laughs> peer review is voluntary work anyway so we're doing this for free for these big publishing houses uh, because it's part of our community and part of our career uh, but actually it's others profiteering um so i think there's uh, there's definitely huge sort of impetus or transformational potential um, in, in, in this movement, the question is, how do, you, how do you really design it? So who is going, there are costs, but who, who, are, who is going to mm. sort of cover those?
2: Uh- totally. And I mean, maybe to connect the dots between you two a little bit. Um, I mean, why I feel very often innovation doesn't happen or gets stuck at some point is because you have to invest upfront. Right. So you have to invest even if, you know, you you pretty much don't have to invest cash in any sense, but you for sure need to invest your time and your energy to some extent. Um, And also, like, that's something that I think hackathons and any other format can really teach that if you you are willing to invest a certain amount of time and just be open uh, about the result in the end then that already triggers that whole spiral, right? That You can go yeah. up or down, depending yeah. on where you land, right? But that's, I think, the major problem, uh, not only in, in the open source educational materials, but in any kind of invasion that you want to move forward, right? That you always ask for, is when is the point that we get something out of it? And what will it be? Because you simply can't answer that question, right? And that's also a, an interesting shift that some of the programmes um, are taking now as well, right? Like for example, the BMBF call now for social innovation as well, um, you know, to have like a multiple step process in order to really um, take an idea to a concept to a first funding and then to a, to a second bigger funding. I think there's also a big um, mindset shift that's currently starting to happen in, in institutions.
3: Yeah so, so uh, I, I love that point totally and that's what we've been seeing for for i would say ages uh, I, i'm not that old uh, yet but uh, for years um so especially when we're talking about social innovation um so when you when you talk to uh, to people well there's this argument of innovation occurs when when there are people on the ground who really understand the needs of target groups for instance right if you have no clue if you Sort of design something from scratch it's just going to miss um the, the the needs that that people actually have um so we were looking at non-profit organizations the free welfare associations in germany um uh, and and their contribution to social innovation and actually uh, you sometimes think of them as sort of the big conglomerates that are really uh, hard to steer and and that are sort of Uh, dedicated to old patterns but you see a lot of innovation happening there but even those big organizations when we are conducting these interviews years back we're saying what we often see is that even when you have specific funding to develop an idea it's often maybe foundations or maybe some you know federal initiative that is funding these ideas but then we have a great beacon project it's super successful and then after three years or after five years the funding is gone and uh, the foundations are saying we're moving to something else because we want to spur innovation the problem often also is to to actually you know get attraction and 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 have this as as a good role model first of all to, to sort of steady it but then also to be able to serve as a role model for others and i think that's also the, the the discussion that you have between and this clash between social entrepreneurship and and other established actors the point is not to work against each other the point is how do you sort of transfer it from from one sphere to another Uh, obviously uh, and we know that from entrepreneurship research or from innovation research the smaller ones uh, smaller teams lower hierarchies uh, help innovating that can also happen uh, in an entrepreneurial fashion in organizations but the point really is how do you get the actors together right so how do you get an innovative idea and concept of of, uh, a social enterprise into maybe a big welfare association and and also the thing that I think we totally neglect because it's so unsexy, uh, is how do, you, uh, how do you change policy? It's always, I'm an entrepreneur, what do I have to do with policy? But the point is, uh, once you, you, know, you have an innovative social service, for instance, your main goal would be to, to, to have a lever on policy, right? To actually make this a regulation, to make this an established new service. And then you can go on innovating. Uh, but the point is, you really need to get to this point. Which brings us back to some of the educational contents that we have in AirMOOC, where we uh, have a portrait of uh, Alyssa mcdonald Burkle, who's a, the, the founder of um, of the Cacao Academy. Uh, she started off selling chocolate bars, uh, fair trade, uh, organic. But then at some point she thought, uh, well, the, the only way I can scale is to enlarge my organization. And then I buy more land and I produce more uh, fair chocolate. But the point, my lever, Uh, is too too small right so what she shifted uh, her sort of business model to is provide education to farmers Uh, and now she's uh, she's pairing up uh, with with some people uh, at Harvard where they have this this chocolate and and uh, cacao uh, institute Uh, and what they focus on is really transferring these learnings to, uh, to to policy makers, right, uh, influencing standards uh, and also influencing big business, right. The the point, especially in commodity industries, is to to have the shifts in in, in big business where, where they reassess their supply chains, they reassess their standards. So it's really about this this transfer. Um, and uh, again, this is sort of one of the examples that we're using uh, in EMU in order to sort of uh, prompt entrepreneurs to think about it that way um, so uh, what was she she always uses this this idea of uh, having these little bullets and you start sort of shooting your bullets um, and that's actually from from a business book also this idea and then if you want to have the real big impact you need the cannonball so think about what your cannonball is going to be or how you can get something into the air so to say uh, to, to bring it uh, onto a larger scale. Uh, I think that's the big the big question that we have. It's also, going back to, Tina, what you were saying, how do we transform um, how, how business is being conducted? I think it's really about how do you find these people who are brokering between the spheres, who are bringing impulses from from one area to another and, and thereby bring them to fruition? Because single actors are not going to change anything. I think you're right. I also I think
0: t- also <clears throat> whenever you focus on the social space then of course that's the big difference to just being in the free market so that's the point where of course you have to connect it to to policy i mean one of the one of the other things taking to scale is of course the whole investment question and i'm i'm wondering you know how does what is there kind of are there some rules of how a social enterprise should talk to investors um, are there a few kind of things you could pull out from, from, yeah. from your knowledge on that?
3: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the surprising thing actually is, and that's also research based. So so in a sense, we're also transferring, we're not so much transferring the educational principles of universities into the MOOC, but more the research goes, goes into it directly. So there is a connection between universities and this, this more practice oriented course. And what we see surprisingly is that no matter to which kind of uh, investor you're you're talking to whether they are more the the venture philanthropy type or the sort of uh, esg investor type that are that comply with environmental social and governance standards but otherwise really focus on on profit it's that you need to convince them that you uh that you care about and that you have a, an effective response to the social problem so it's really about starting with that uh, if you start by talking about the business uh, you're not going to be as successful, or not successful as, at all, uh, as compared to if you start about the social problem. Your response, and then obviously there's two di- different types of investors. If you have more of a the venture philanthropist, then maybe you will need to uh, explain your, you know, your engagement, your voluntary experience, talk more about your values, and then if someone's really, uh, and that's sort of a, a bit of a, a low brainer, but but still confirmed in research. Uh, If you have a a finance-first investor, then they will want to see more of that. But the the core argument is here. Don't start talking about your venture and your nice business model and where you're going to be in five years. Uh, That's a second step. The first one, and you need to nail that, is the social problem and your effective response to it. And that's where it comes to. Apparently, it's ingrained in ourselves that we're really looking for impact. Uh, Only if we try to sort of pin it down if, we, uh, if we're trying to translate it into some sort of accounts, then all of a sudden uh, it all gets too complex and we want this one figure that tells me, uh, you know, this is my return on investment. But otherwise, it seems to be something, uh, and probably uh, Rutger Bregman, who, who always, uh, the guy who sort of meshed up uh, Davos last year, I think, uh, quite oh, a bit, cool. who says, we have this social uh, fabric in ourselves that, that cares about things. Uh, Maybe it's that. Uh, I can't really explain it, but that's one of the the main messages, I think, uh, in terms of how you uh, successfully draft communication.
1: I also see... Kind of an ideolo- ideological problem, you know. On one hand, um, um, although others wouldn't agree, um, I really um, appreciate um, the, the, all the activity that is taking place in this form and how how people are uh, being social entrepreneurs. I don't. I want to taste this in advance and not to give the impression that I don't like this kind of an initiative. I'm thinking on the contrary that there is a lot of micro activity. That is, that is also new, or at least only 20 years old, no? so this is new. But also, see, um, I want to know, I mean, and there's something that you say, you say social impact, you say even social innovation, and then you say the social problem. You mentioned um, the homeless um, initiative to collect uh, money um, for people who can't get it on the street, you mentioned Nebenan, an online platform that is uh, helping neighborhoods to communicate, Uh, I'm I'm sure that some employees will will make their living of that. And um, I see a problem here. I mean, um, the the only reason why uh, startups and uh, all this, um, let's say, diverse investment is now uh, happening is the fact that there's too much money somewhere. And there are big, um, how you call these big um, BlackRock, these big investment um, um, companies uh, and their subsidiaries, who who have the money to uh, put it into these micro-activities. So the micro-activities profit from this um, accident. But on the other hand, I I wonder um, also educationally, if you put a student or a person, if you give him the idea that social impact, entrepreneurial impact, the business impact is all the same, and innovation could even be applied to a problem like homelessness, um, then I, I, I wonder a little bit, I mean, don't you like blur uh, the perception of a social problem by putting it together everything together
3: mm-hmm. yeah potentially that's 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 sort of a threat i totally uh, uh, agree with your point on that i think the point is also that we shouldn't try and uh, build alternative structures so i would always see social entrepreneurs less as uh, the the sort of the deliverers of uh, of the big solution and and also impact investors by the way but more change agents in order to transform uh, the bigger system. So uh, one of the arguments being that uh, actually impact investing is never going to be as such the main market, but it can be a, a beacon or a role model uh, in terms of transforming how finance is done at large. Uh, the same thing is if you have uh, social entrepreneurs, it's maybe not even uh, only their innovations or their business models or whatever it is, their, their outside impact, it might also be the practices that they're applying uh, internally, right? So that they usually have lower hierarchies. You talk about holocracies where you have a lot of participation in the organizations. So they might also be a role model in terms of how you transform, how we work together. Um, and so so the argument is that you need to sort of have these as, uh, as change agents, so to say, uh, of a bigger system. I totally agree that we can't, uh, on the one hand side, um, on the one hand side continue with with business as usual Um, that's also this argument after COVID, we we need to change everything basically i totally agree i I don't really see it happening yet um but but that's sort of the goal that we should work towards rather than you know have one system breaking things up and then another system um, fixing the things Uh, and also relating to this this point that you made that now all of a sudden, everything is investment. Everything is innovation. Everything is nice and fancy, and you just need to, you know, uh, put on your thinking cap, and all of a sudden you'll have an innovative business model with which you can, uh, uh, you know, solve homelessness. I think that's not the case, right? Um, uh, one thing is you need you still need uh, this uh, this uh, s- spectrum between for-profit models, non-profit models. We also need to be more appreciative of voluntary work of non-profit models. Um, and, and only by having this diversity of approaches, but trying to sort of lever the effectiveness those have, um, are we going? Are we going to change um, something? And uh, maybe one last point: there's this nice concept uh, pioneered by by, uh, by Michael Porter from from Harvard Business School uh, of shared value, right? So uh, you just need to find a creative solution uh, to social problems that everyone's going to benefit. I think what we're often seeing is that these promises are hard to hold um, and hard to live up to and, that you, uh, and, and that's uh, something my, my colleague uh, li- likes to say. Uh, Christian Selos, there's no shared value, there's only shared pain. Um, so in <laughs> a sense, you really need to sort of uh, accept some of the trade-offs. You really need to reactivate your values more. Uh, you need to collaborate, you need to be uh, willing to give to make some sacrifices, right? You can't, I think you just can't have it all. Um, and I, but I also think that there's some momentum, uh, more and more people uh, believing that, uh, and hopefully by that and by these change agents, as I've um, sort of outlined earlier on, uh, hopefully we can have a bigger transformation. And we're talking about systems change. We're not talking about, you know, fixing, fixing stuff that others break. Um, We're talking about, ideally, whether we're ever going to achieve it, I've got no clue. Um, But this would be sort of the the goal uh, that organizations and people should be working towards.
1: We will achieve it always again, that's for sure. (laughs) No, no, there's a change taking place and uh, the COVID-19 crisis didn't fall from the sky. It's also a signal of how our society works badly in some regards, especially for land expansion. There is a change in where in the way companies develop new ideas by having this really great startup culture, and there's an, an through through technology and these people with open education, um, like Dominic and Sabrina, um, show how um, um, the the access for learning and the sharing of these of these things um, are developing in, in in a very very fascinating way now, and well, we can't change the world just right now, but uh, we we can. We can try piece by piece uh, our time is a little bit a little bit over I don't I wonder if Dominic and Sabrina um, still want to ask you some more holes into your stomach so let's let's do in a last round
2: <laughs> for sure do you, do you want to start <laughs>
0: um,
1: no, if you've
2: got a
0: question then you should you should go because I, yeah, a... I,
2: I have a question and uh, I can turn it into a wrap-up as well no but I will leave it with the question so um, as you said, like um, in the end, you talked a lot about interdisciplinary work as well, right? And about how we can um, change different sectors of society and uh, different issue areas and whatever. So if you look at the education sector, um, I mean, you could think, of course, there's a lot of innovation happening already, for sure. But um, in comparison to other industries, I always feel it's still a bit lacking behind, given all the challenges that we have ahead, right? So. Only given all the numbers of people that will need to be upskilled and reskilled, and all the new technologies that don't even exist yet, um, but we need people um, educated in them as fast as possible, as soon as they're there. So, how do we get there? And what would be your best guess um, how we can yeah, come up with those innovations that are needed to, to tackle all those educational challenges?
3: Yeah. Um, so, so I think, uh, once again, uh, the point here is collaboration, right? So what you see happening, we're back at uh, Dominic uh, Dominic's argument about hackathons. There is a hackathon that sort of rethinks education. But then again, I think, uh, first of all, you don't have the protected spaces. You don't have practices that uh, generate interaction on a daily basis. Um, that, that's one of the, the things that, that needs to happen. Um, and uh, at the same time, uh, that's just what I suspect. Um, But I would suppose that most of the people that are then taking part in the hackathon are not really deeply in the system, right? Um, So it might be people that have great ideas from outside, but in in a sense, it's again this idea from I'm going to be there and and rethink everything from scratch. I mean, uh, take uh, Richard David Precht, uh, a philosopher who uh, tells everyone how to, you know, revolutionize education. Some of the ideas I think uh, are good and okay, uh, but at the same time, I think maybe it needs a bit more grounding in the sense of maybe asking, uh, you know, teachers uh, about their experiences, trying to enable them um, to actually um, change something. Uh, Same in higher education, right? Quite uh, hierarchical, still uh, quite rigid institutions, usually. Um, And you don't have uh, much uh, agency, so to say, in the the individual change agents. Uh, And I think how that's actually uh, how you promote it in terms of if you want to have some change in the institutions. Uh, if you're looking outside, if you look at impact broadly again, I think the good news is that ubiquity is getting uh, more important than, you know copyrights and and keeping things for yourself. Um, so it seems that, uh, you know, sharing, giving out stuff. Uh, again, this idea of of then making the the online course, uh, the university course, open source, and not keeping it to our, to ourselves to have sort of selling point or something like that. We're not a business school, but but maybe that's something that they they w- they would have been uh, doing. Um, and I think it's str- it's transferring to this. And and I mean, the, the examples that you're setting through Kyron, and other uh, open uh, minded and open, uh, I would say, uh, educational initiatives and platforms are uh, actually helping this transformation to make it to the benefit of a broader uh, target group or audience.
0: Mm-hmm. I, maybe i just add a few things to that because I, I agree with what you've said. I actually think, um, you know, the, because we're noticing now that, especially with the hackathons, they've become now the new method of choice. For lots of things, but I do find it interesting. And I think part of it, especially if we think kind of past the, the hackathon, the social enterprise that then starts being built on that, and Kiron would be one example. In a way, what's interesting and maybe what makes these enterprises to a certain extent innovative and pushing the boundaries is actually because they are an unprotected space. So suddenly they do have to deal with questions like, how am I going to ensure that I've got enough money to keep moving forward? How can I make sure that it fits in the whole system? I mean, I have sometimes the feeling in the public sector, the reason we don't move forward is actually because a lot of that is kind of protected through, the you know the answer of no, we always do it this way, and so whilst I'm really against um, the the point also that uh, that, that Tino is making, I'm really against this solutionism which just says, no, come on, we can, you know, it's also called sometimes the Silicon Valley approach, which is, you know, we need to break the whole system and we've got a new one just around the corner. That is, that is especially in the social sphere, that's rubbish. But I think this kind of getting out there where it's dirty and like really trying to make things happen is, is actually why social enterprises are so interesting. And I think I, I totally agree with you. I think they're interesting of themselves. They're interesting as role models as well for other people to look at and say, "Hey, that works as well." and I think we know certainly as Kiron that that's how we're seen within the space when when policymakers talk to us or other um, institutions they come because they're like, we never would have believed this could work, but it obviously works so um, yeah, so yeah. I think it's really great that you're working in this area and, and especially with the investment question because I think again probably that's the most unsexy of all the questions because for a startup that seems to be the easy thing because you're like come on we just do something a little idea and we find some investor who comes and gives us some you know the first five million or whatever but it's much more difficult i think for a social enterprise but i think it's really important to focus on the topic
3: yeah Uh, maybe maybe one last reflection i think you're making a great point in terms of that you need to strike a balance to find the right kind of liberty and protected space uh, I think on the one side, too much pressure is not good because you're only going to run after your job. Nothing's going to happen. And at the same time, it can also lead to just uh, people leaning back. That's that's the way we always did it. Uh, and I think the, the sort of the ultimate proof uh, for all kinds of practices is the crisis, right? All of a sudden, we're making things happen. All of a sudden, we need to teach online whether we want it or not. We could have uh, you know as as many have done um, uh, just uh, sort of reject these or, or use them poorly the, the opportunities that we had and now you you actually need to make things happen so 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 actually we've also in terms of uh, reskilling and and getting to cross-sector partnerships to integrate uh, refugees by the way um, we we've seen that crises were actually focal points where, where people that made that made people and organizations move where they otherwise wouldn't have um, so it's a bit on the. It seems on the individual level, you need, I think, more agency, uh, more more protected space, uh, and at the same time, you sometimes also just need the pressures and and some sort of a an impetus that that is pushing uh, things uh, t- towards whatever goal. Maybe just m- maybe it's just the pressure. Uh, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, but but it's uh, finding the delicate balance between the two. I guess uh, that matters in, in terms of really effectuating change
1: well i'm looking forward to the wikipedia of social entrepreneurial ideas that everybody can take and use um yeah. thank you everybody
3: for um have no, for... already got a name ah, yeah <laughs> what is it what is the name the wikipedia for uh thank ah. ah, you
1: yeah, well it should be specific enough to to distinguish it from something else however makes sense. well Thank you, everybody, for being here tonight. Thank you for uh, everybody who has listened. Um, We'll try to be back next week with another interesting thing. Dominic, is there another important... Ah, Dominic, sorry, I am so bad in wrapping up. There was this important online event of Chiron last weekend. Um, Could you just tell us, us, but briefly, how did it work and um, what's next?
0: Ah, great, yeah, thank you. I, I also forgot that as well, because we're all moving from one thing to the next, yeah, we had over 1,500 people. We had lots of refugees taking part in the conference, which was always our goal. Um, and uh, we're going to be issuing all participants with uh, badges, so micro-credentials, because this is something we want to be working on more, and Kieron as well. And, um, of course, we always said the conference was um, very much the start of something that we want to be moving forward in. And um, I mean, I, I mean, for myself anyway, I was very uh, excited and, and super happy about what happened. So um, Sabrina, do you want to add a few words to that?
2: Totally. I mean, we can only say that everyone who missed it, um, we have all the recordings from all the sessions. Mm. So there's so much interesting things, like also maybe for you, even a visualization of um, social good, So like, we had a session there um, that was really, really interesting of how to use data to um, show more social needs and challenges, but also to show a way of how you could tackle them. That was interesting, but really a broad range in language courses and sessions. So yeah, for everyone, um, virtual refugee conference, maybe that's what you should mention as well, the link, um, and there you will find everything else. Yeah, and
0: everything well, else that you the- mentioned we'll put at the bottom as well. Uh, as this post. Cool. You know, you have the last one.
1: Well, no, no. I just say thank you and goodbye. Uh, well, good night. What is it? Good luck and good night. What was the journalist? That's right, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay. That, was, that was really yeah. great. Thank you yeah, very thank much. Thank everybody. Cheers. See you soon. Thanks a lot for having me. Bye. Bye. Oh, uh-huh.